Hello and welcome to today's podcast. In today's podcast, we are actually looking at this month's masterclass, which was on problem solving with Graham. Uh, you might uh, pick up some good skills. I know I learned some. Uh, so yeah, enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome along to another in a magical learning masterclass series. My name is Graham Gerstenberg. I'm CEO of Magical Learning. Today, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts and ideas with you around problem solving. Uh, excited to see so many of you on the session today. So thank you for joining. Uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping things, if I can. We have allocated 90 minutes to the session. I, I do plan to, um, to wrap up in that time space. I love questions. So if you have any questions as we're going through, uh, please feel free to either just raise your hand in the Zoom window, drop your question into the, the chat box. I'll keep an eye on that as we go through. I'm also more than happy for you just to interrupt me. Perfectly okay with that. So if you have comments, questions, observations as we're going, please feel free to share. So quick outline of what we're going to cover in the masterclass today. I want to talk a little about why problem solving skills are so important, not just on a personal level, but more importantly in a workplace. Um, our ability to be able to solve problems at a team level and also uh, how it helps build more resilience for an organisation. We're also going to chat uh, about some of the steps that you can take to solving problems. We have a couple of problem solving models that I uh, want to share with you that, to give you some specific sort of structure, if you like, around solving problems. Also some additional strategies for problem solving, uh, just some ways to think about them a little differently that might get better outcomes. And we're gonna give you one action at the end of the masterclass that you can implement pretty much immediately. And it's a, if you can use the action, it is pretty much guaranteed to help you build stronger uh, and build more confidence in your ability to solve problems. But before we do jump into the content, I'd love to start by understanding a little more about those of you on the call today. Why is solving problems important for you? And again, feel free to the chat or just raise your hand, or you can just unmute yourself and share with the class. So some great um, responses coming through in the chat box. Thank you very much for sharing that. So building more confidence. Um, so from David, oh, yeah, it's a great thinking about it. So solving problems is one way of um, being able to position yourself for promotions or to look for new job opportunities, um, be a better leader. I like that. Thank you. Also feel better about how I contribute to my team. Brilliant. Thank you. So again, we, we live in an age of um, change, disruption, chaos, and it's not just the pandemic in 2020, but um, problem solving is actually part of what we do in life every day. We just don't necessarily think about it that way or label it that way, but it is part of our existence on the planet. As always, I like um, sharing quotes with you and this from a gentleman by the name of Albert Einstein. Some of you may have heard of him, recently smart cookie. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. And you could you could replace the word level with type. Um, the problems that we've created so far, we need to think very differently in order to be able to solve those. Uh, so again, keep in mind that 
our ability to, to solve problems is only limited by often the stories that we have about our ability to solve problems, if that makes sense. So if I believe I can solve any problem, I can solve any problem. If I believe I'm terrible at solving problems, that's pretty much where I'm going to stay. So I wanted to talk a little about why solving problems can be important for us. And this is both on personal and on a work level. Um, one of the things that problem solving does for us personally is it helps strengthen decision-making. Solving problems, whether it's a purely intellectual uh, problem or whether it's a, a genuinely practical problem, in any, event, in any event requires us to make choices or decisions and then to sometimes to take action. Uh, we get to fix things that are broken. And again, this is hugely important in the context of work and organisations. And if something's not working, then you know, we label it a problem. That's generally where we start. And the question then becomes, well, how do we fix it? So being able to solve problems is hugely important in the context of being able to rectify things that are broken or that are, are malfunctioning or they're not as effective as they could be. We're not getting the outcome or the result that we were hoping to get. Um, and, and just a side note on the fixing broken things is thinking about things that we tolerate. So if we have very low confidence, and sometimes that just comes from not having had uh, much experience in solving problems, we can tend to tolerate things that are not, again, that are not necessarily working 100%. They may not be broken, but they're not working as well as they could. And over time, we just come to sort of tolerate them because we may have a story that our ability to solve that particular problem isn't that high. So fixing things is also great way, again, of building momentum, building confidence around our ability to solve problems. Problem solving is also uh, hugely important in the context of risk and how we manage risk. And this, again, is important in our personal lives as well as being important at work. Sometimes part of the problem solving process or model that we can use is around risk. So if something's not working, if it's broken at the moment, there are generally risks associated with that. If it remains broken for the next six months, where do we end up? When we think about, okay, how do we fix the problem? Most of these solutions that we might come up with are also going to involve some level of risk. So becoming better at solving problems also helps us deal more appropriately with risk at different levels. Solving problems helps improve performance. If we, if we have a problem, again, something's not working effectively or efficiently, or perhaps both in the workplace, then finding a solution to that can help us improve performance. And this is important once again at the personal level, as well as at the team level and absolutely at, for the, the entire organisation. Problem solving also enables us to engage with or take advantage of opportunities because opportunities can also represent uncertainty, um, you know, confusion, lack of information. So you, you can label uh, a problem as an opportunity. And in fact, that's generally a, a better thing to do anyway, if we're gonna just talk about language. But taking advantage of opportunities is also in another sense, solving problems. And my favourite one's right at the end. Uh, why is problem solving important? Because it helps us learn. One of the more common forms of personal development around problem solving is simply having a story in the head that, oh, yeah, I had a massive problem at work, 
but we came up with a solution that's worked really well. So having gone through that experience, I've now got a story in the head and the next time a similar problem arises, I can refer back to my past experience and remind myself, yeah, the, the problem we had before was actually way worse than this one. And we found a problem, we found a solution for that problem. So I'm really confident that we can find a solution for this problem because I've learned from my past experiences. The same thing applies where we use a solution to a problem that doesn't give us the outcome we were hoping for. So the solution ends up not being the solution. It's like, oh, okay. Well, now we know that that didn't work. Let's try something else. One of the more famous examples of that learning was from Thomas Edison. So the, the, the popular story around Edison and the electric light Edison went through close to 10,000 different experiments to create an electric incandescent light bulb. And all except the last one did not succeed. But he learned from each one. And Edison's attitude, was, and it wasn't just Edison, and Edison had a team working with him on all of these experiments. But the attitude was phenomenal. It was, okay, that's experiment 9,642. We've just learned another way to not make the incandescent light bulb. What can we learn from that? And let's go again. And he got there in the end. But it's always a learning process. We can learn from our successes. We can absolutely learn from our mistakes as well. And the only real mistake we ever make is where we miss the opportunity to learn from it or we just keep making the same one. So learning is also hugely important in solving problems. Uh, I love this quote from Abraham Maslow. For me, this speaks to our thinking around problems. Um, from Maslow, I suppose it's tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. So for me, what does this mean in terms of problem solving? I need to be really mindful of not taking exactly the same approach or using exactly the same tools or methods, et cetera, uh, to solve problems, to solve every problem. Because over time, I've then just got one tool and it basically looks like a hammer. So then I oh, will be nailed because that's the only tool I've got. So. It has to be a nail, otherwise my tool is useless. So we need to develop an entire toolkit around problem solving and we have, and to build the capacity to be able to take a different approach into solving a particular problem rather than just having the hammer. So let's talk a little about some common uh, and very important problem solving skills. And the first of those is observation. Um, it's quite common for us, particularly in a work environment, because let's face it, we're all busy. We're all under a lot of time pressure. There's a lot of expectation on us. Sometimes it's just our own expectation. Sometimes it comes from our managers. And because of all that peripheral pressure, we can fall into the trap of just grabbing the first solution that presents itself because we need to fix it. I need to fix it now because I've got a million other things to do. So just make it go away. Which on the surface sounds like a good strategy, but the challenge is often that the solution we put in place is the, um, the cliched band-aid solution that works for a very short time, but then the problem reoccurs. 
observational skills in part is about sitting with the problem for a longer period of time and really engaging our senses to observe and to understand a lot more about the problem. I've got a great quote from Einstein again a little later in the masterclass that really talks about observational skills. So it's spending more time in that observation stage, really trying to understand the problem. What are the root causes of the problem? What else is around in that environment that relates to the problem? Rather than just jumping into the first solution that presents itself. Lateral thinking, also massively important. Um, Edward de Bono, one of the, the pioneers of lateral thinking, wrote some good books. Um, talks a lot about being able to think in a different direction. Um, and whilst having processes or having a, a framework or a model for being able to solve a problem is important, it's also hugely important for us to remember that, and by the way, lateral thinking is not um, a skill that can only be developed. It's a, it's a capacity in our brain that exists. We just sometimes need to remember how to tap into it. Um, creative thinking, our lateral, lateral thinking is a form of creative thinking. Creativity is something that every human being uh, possesses because it's very much a function of what goes on between our ears. So it's not something you have to learn. Sometimes it's something we just have to activate. And often using skills like lateral thinking when we have uh, some peace and quiet, it can be tricky for many of us to be to think creatively, think laterally when we're massively under the pump, if I'm trying to do a million things and everybody's yelling at me, and etc. Sometimes it can be harder for some of us to engage around lateral thinking. Having the ability to analyse things, and this is really just an IQ, this is an intelligence thing, which, again, most of us have. Some of us just need to learn how to strengthen it. The ability to analyse information, in part, comes back to having time and space to do that is very much linked with observational skills and not just looking for or desperately searching for the first uh, available solution, but being able to actually sit with a range of information and analyse that. And uh, analytical ability is often amplified when we go through problem solving in a group. Uh, another really important skill around problem solving is persistence. And I'll put resilience in brackets because, for me, resilience... Um, supports persistence. If I have very little resilience, I will often just give up. I won't persist. I'll try one thing. If that doesn't work, so I'll oh, give up. It's too hard. I'll spend an hour thinking about a problem, but I'm really stressed massively under the pump. The emails are coming up. Somebody's on the phone wanting me to fix something. And it's a problem I want to fix, but I just can't think of anything. And again, because I've got low resilience, I just... Again, let go. So the ability to persist is massively important. And that in part comes from resilience, which in part comes from you know how we take care of ourselves. If I have more resilience, I feel more okay with sitting with a problem over a longer period of time. Some other uh, important skills in, in problem solving, creative thinking, we were talking about lateral thinking before, a similar um, process, if you like. But again, just keeping in mind that creativity, because we, we used to believe for a long time, neuroscientists told us that you know the, the brain exists in two hemispheres, the left and the right brain, they both have very separate functions. And if you are you know, more right brain, then you're automatically more creative, 
But if you're a left brain person, then you're much more about logic and structure and yeah, sorry. So I can't be creative because I'm, I'm more left brain. Now we know that's not true. In fact, we've known for some time now that it's not true. When people engage in creative or creative activity, both hemispheres, areas in both sides of the brain light up. So creative thinking, again, is also something we can all do, but it often requires focus, absolutely requires attention, and generally that means few distractions around us. One of my favourite problem-solving skills of all time, and it's something that I continue to remind myself that I can get better at it because I know I can, is great questions. Or just asking different questions. Sometimes we don't know that the question is great until we ask it. But just asking different questions. And this in part, again, comes back to the lateral thinking, observational skills, analysing the situation, uh, looking at past attempts to fix whatever the problem has been. Um, one of the a question that resonated quite strongly for me a number of years ago was, what would complete failure look in this situation? Because normally, if you know, we have a problem or there's an opportunity and we think, okay, well, what would success look like and how do we get there? Sometimes a really powerful question can also be, what does complete failure look like? It's, it's helpful to know that because we know that we don't want to go there. So we can then start to uh, identify or tag any particular potential actions that might lead us down the complete failure path. So asking better questions is a fantastic skill for us to build. Decision-making. To solve a problem, at some point, again, we need to be able to make decisions. So if I am a world-class Olympic-level procrastinator around some things, then I'll just not make a decision, which is not a helpful problem-solving skill to have. Recognising that I may hesitate around making decisions because I'm worried about the outcome, that, that's a really good awareness to have. So sometimes in trying to solve a problem, it can help to get to a place where I'm okay with the solution not working or not working 100%. Because if, if I'm looking complete, 100% um, perfection in the outcome, and I don't believe this solution is going to give me that, then I won't make a decision either way. Ultimately, in solving ones, particularly in the workplace, uh, you actually have to do something. You know, we, we can uh, intellectualise a lot, and, and often we do, but at some point we really do need to take action, and it's a really good skill to build it's sometimes you don't know if this solution is the perfect solution. Let's just try it because that will give us some more information that help, may help identify ultimately the best possible solution. So just recognising that at some point we just need to act. So I wanted to share uh, just a couple of problem-solving models with you now. Again, because for many of us, having a framework, a process that I can go through in addressing a problem is a particularly helpful thing to have. So this is a, a very common six-step um, approach to solving problems. Step one is defining the problem. Again, this is where we engage our observational skills, our analytical skills. Uh, this is where we spend more time in the definition stage. How clear are we 
about the problem. What exactly is it? Can we literally put a box or a frame around it and, and define, very, very clearly define the problem? This is hugely important in the context of all the following steps because if we're fuzzy or vague about the problem, that is going to influence all of the following steps and generally will lead to a less than optimal outcome. The solution we identify is unlikely to be the best possible solution because we're really vague about the problem. So step one, define the problem. What exactly is it? Step two is then work out what the root causes of the problem are. And quite often there can be multiple levels or layers of factors that are influencing or creating the problem. It's hugely important, again, to invest the time in getting to the root cause because it's the root cause that we need to address rather than the surface observable problem. It's a Band-Aid solution, again. If we don't get deep enough and identify the root cause, whatever solution we put in place will fix the problem temporarily, but it's going to reoccur because we haven't addressed the root cause. Step three is then to start identifying solutions. And as much as possible, being aware, remaining aware of the, the urgency behind the solution and not just grabbing the first solution that gets identified because we want to fix the thing and move on to the next problem that we have to deal with. In coaching, uh, we have conversations with clients sometimes where they feel as though they're in a corner and, and I can do that or I can, I've, I've only got two choices. It's either X or Y, that's it. And so one of the better questions that we learned along the way is, so what other options might there be? Coaching clients says, well, I don't know. Well, if you did know, what might it look like? Again, this comes back to questions. Yeah, great, we found a solution, that's fantastic. What other solutions might be out there? So spend a little bit more time in the identification stage around solutions. Step four. Decision-making, choose a solution. Again, at some point, if we've identified more than one, we simply need to choose one. Be mindful of not getting caught in that perfectionist frame of mind where, well, yeah, look, I, I don't know if it's the best solution. I don't know if it's a perfect one. What happens? It, it might work, but it might not work perfectly. So maybe let's wait a little longer. Sometimes, again, it's important to know when to pull the trigger and choose a solution, for want of a better phrase rather than just on the fence. We're getting stuck in what we like to call analysis paralysis. Having chosen the solution, the next step is to actually implement the solution. And then the last step, which is relatively self-explanatory, is around evaluation. How did it work? Did we get the outcome that we're expecting? Is the problem being completely solved? Has it been partially solved? What can we learn from what we've just done from those six steps? And the, the last step here, I've actually created or uh, illustrated this model as a cycle because it can be. It's entirely possible for in, when addressing a problem in the workplace for argument's sake that we go through steps one through six, we uh, identify the root causes, we identify a solution, we pick what we believe is the best one, we put it into place, and then a month down the track we realise that it's working 85% of the time but there's about a 15% spot there where we're not really getting uh, a solution from that. So we go through the process again. 
It's like the, the uh, continuous quality improvement model, the Plan Do Check Act. The idea is that you can use this as a cycle rather than just putting the solution in the place and saying, well, it's done and dusted, awesome, fantastic, let's move on. Part of the evaluation step is also, what do we learn? Yeah, what have we learned from this process that we might be able to use in addressing other problems, whether they're similar problems or completely different? So that's one six-step uh, approach to problem solving. Uh, this is the quote I mentioned earlier from Albert Einstein. And again, it speaks to me, it speaks very much about observational skills and, and patience and persistence. Einstein was once quoted as saying, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. And what can happen for us, particularly in busy workplaces or when we're under a lot of pressure, is we flip that around. And we spend five minutes thinking about the problem and 55 minutes trying to come up with an awesome solution. The challenge with that, of course, is that we haven't fully understood the problem. So Einstein understood. He wasn't necessarily smarter than people. He said, I solve more problems not necessarily because I'm more intelligent. I just stay with the problem longer. So something else to keep in mind. When you are looking at solving a problem, don't get too excited about moving into solution phase too quickly. So I'm going to um, just throw back out to the group now because I'd love to hear for you, in your experience with solving problems, particularly in the workplace, what has worked well for you in that problem solving space? Again, feel free to unmute yourself and share or drop your thoughts into the chat box. Okay, thank you for sharing. Let's move on. I have another problem solving model that I wanted to share with you. Again, just to give you a couple of different approaches to solving problems. This is uh, from a couple of gentlemen um, who created a, a model of process for dealing with problems many years ago and, it's, and remains one of the, the more popular um, approaches to problem solving. So Kepner and Trigo were the two gentlemen who created the model. And the first step in this model, and you'll find that most problem-solving models follow a very similar path in terms of the steps. Uh, in this one, the first is situation appraisal. What's going on? And what we're trying to achieve here is clarity and priority. In the context of so the priority really is how important is this problem in the context of other problems? Which aspects of the problem are more important than others? Uh, what are some of the consequences of the problem and how do we prioritise? The what's going on is understanding the situation. Again, this goes back to Einstein's quote about spending 55 minutes thinking about the problem. This is the observational skills, the analytical skills. It, it can also include uh, things like persistence. In a work environment, this can include the capacity to ask questions, the capacity to engage with stakeholders and other people to get more information about the problem. So situation appraisals, what's going on? Let's get really clear about what that looks like. The next step is analysing the problem, and this is looking for the root cause. So why did the problem occur in the first place? What triggered it? What created it? What are the causes? So we, And we really are looking into the past in this stage because the problem has already occurred or the, the event, the trigger event occurred that created the problem. So analysing the problem, again, using analytical skills, brainstorming, asking better questions, collaborating with others. 
the next stage in the Kepner Trigo model is around decision losses. So a question like, what should we do? What can we do? What are the possible solutions or options we have available to us for dealing with this particular problem? And then analysing each of those potential solutions and then making a choice. And that's right now. What are we going to do to address the problem? And then the last stage is very much about the future. Uh, and this is about analysing the potential outcome from our action. Whatever we decide to do about the problem, what impact is that likely to have for us? What lies ahead? Do we need to do something to ensure that the actions we put in place are protected so that they continue to have the effect the, that we want to have or that they continue to provide the outcome that we're looking for? That's not the strategy around um, problem solving. By the way, uh, we will be sharing a copy of the slide deck with everybody after the session today. So if um, there are particular things in here where you're sort of madly scrambling, trying to write down, don't panic, we will get a copy of it out to you. So there's some simple strategies around problem solving. The first is simplify. Now this can literally mean taking a, a bigger problem and trying to chunk it down into more manageable bites rather than literally trying to solve the entire world's problem. It's like, well, let's just pick part of the problem. Can we break it down into segments and look to address one of those? Uh, another great strategy uh, I've actually found really helpful in the past, and that is to ask the question, what would, and it's not necessarily MacGyver. Uh, for those of you who are um, post MacGyver, just Google him. Um, yeah, MacGyver had a, the, the ability to solve problems incredibly well, so he could take a, a box of matches, a paper clip and a battery and, and build a helicopter you know, to escape some evil person. Sometimes putting ourselves literally into a different mindset by asking the question, what would X do, and X could be somebody that I admire, somebody I think has got great problem-solving skills, or somebody is very different to me. It can trick my brain into looking at the problem quite differently. Could be MacGyver, who knows? Uh, another trick is to narrow the scope, which again is, is similar to simplifying, but and rather than trying to address everything all at once, and let's just try and, and put a part of the problem into a smaller box to start with, narrow the scope down, instead of trying to solve everything, let's just focus on one aspect of the problem. Another really helpful strategy is working backwards. So this is rather than thinking about the problem specifically or focusing on the problem, what we're really looking to do here is identify what does the ideal outcome look like? What do we want the end result to look like? And then working back from there. And again, part of this is clarity. If I have no idea really what the end result looks like or the outcome that I'm looking to achieve, it's highly likely that finding a, the best solution is not going to happen either. So work backwards. Uh, the next one is <laughs> just try something. Sometimes we can get caught again in that analysis paralysis. We're trying to come up with a perfect solution. We want the best possible outcome. So we, we fail to take action. Or we're worried about blowback and what happens if it doesn't work? Is my boss going to blame me? You know, do I trust within the organisation? That's a whole different kettle of fish. Some 
sometimes we just need to try something. And it might be important in a work context for you to make sure that you do have you know, that, that senior support, that management support, or that you have a champion in your corner so that if it doesn't work, it's like, it's okay, we've learned something, let's move on and try something else. So sometimes just do it, put it into place, see what happens. If you go back to the six-step model, it's the evaluation stage. How, what outcome did we get? What worked? What didn't work? What can we improve? Another way for uh, another great strategy in the problem-solving process can be just engaging your inner artist and, and drawing whatever the problem happens to be. But think about, can I represent it in four or five different ways? Because, again, that can prompt my brain to look at each representation of the problem a little differently. And certainly in a team or in a group brainstorming um, environment, that multiple representations of a problem can be massively helpful. And the last one, which is also one of my favourites, is just sleep on it. So if, if you try and if you're wrestling or grappling with a problem, know the language around that, we, we don't celebrate a problem, although perhaps we should. Sometimes if it's just the solution isn't coming to you and you, know, you can worry at it and gnaw on it like an old bone and then you can spend all of your time and you're just sitting there thinking, thinking, thinking about the problem. And we literally, it's like we're in a, in a little rut with a shovel and we just continue to dig deeper and deeper and we're not actually getting closer to the solution. It's beautiful chemistry that happens in our brain overnight. So sometimes the best thing you can do is just sleep on it and perhaps ask a question to your subconscious before you go to sleep, but then be really mindful of not immediately. And it could be like, no, dear subconscious, I would love a solution to this particular problem. Thank you. And then go to sleep and allow your subconscious the opportunity to do what it does best. It's incredible how often people come up with solutions when they wake up in the morning to a problem they were grappling with yesterday because they let go of it while they were asleep. So sometimes that's the best thing you can do, walk away from it. If sleeping on it isn't an acceptable thing, um, go and do something different. Again, get your head out of the space that it's in. If you're trying to come up with solutions and none of them seem to be working or you just can't identify something, then stop. Let go of it, go for a walk. Uh, yeah, have some, get some exercise, maybe have something to eat, drink some water, watch a funny movie, go and tell some really terrible dad jokes to somebody to make them either laugh or groan. It doesn't really matter that much. Do something different and then come back to it later on. So I'd love to hear from you now, which of these strategies speaks most to you? And again, please feel free to use the chat or unmute yourself and just share with us. Uh, and I will go back to the list for you. So which of those um, strategies, and I'd love to hear if you've used some of these before, what your, um, what your success or the outcomes that you've experienced have been. Okay, at the start of the session today, we talked about sharing an action with you that can help improve your problem solving skills. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. Go and find a bench near the water and sit on it. No, okay. It's not really that. The action is reflection. The one action that is pretty much guaranteed to improve your problem-solving skills over time, it is reflection. And the reflection can take a lot of forms. Uh, again, one of our favourite forms 
certainly for myself personally is journaling because it's something that I've used consistently over a long period of time now when I do it it works and when I don't do it I notice that I haven't been doing it as consistently it doesn't have to be journaling you can simply set aside five or ten minutes during the day maybe at the start of the day you could do it at the end of the day just to pause and reflect on what's been working for you if you've been um, addressing a problem in the workplace taking time to reflect on your efforts to address that problem is a very, very powerful way of recognising which aspects of the process of using are working, uh, understanding your, your mindset around the problem, you know, what, what's your language, your internal language around solving the problem, how have you been collaborating or communicating with others if you adopt something like the six-step model or approach to addressing the problem on reflection have you noticed that you know maybe you didn't spend quite as much time in the uh, observation stage in defining the problem as you could or you actually only came up with one solution because it seemed really on face value to be the best solution so you didn't bother looking for others what can you learn from your thoughts and your actions around problem solving um, I, I recommend journaling for everybody for how many reasons it's not funny. But again, one of the things that we do know it helps is to create stronger neural networks around things that we become aware of. Because the act of thinking about it and writing it down actually creates more connections in our brain. James Pennybaker is a, a, a neurologist at the University of Texas that spent last probably close to 30 years um, studying and using writing as a form of therapy. And some of his research is quite amazing in terms of the benefits we get. But just simply taking the time to stop and reflect on my activities around problem solving, but also my thoughts, because my thoughts are then going to trigger emotions, which are going to drive a lot of my behaviour. What can I learn from that that can help me get better at solving problems in future? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we do have some other resources that we are going to send out to you with um, the slide deck for today. I just want to open back up to everyone now and ask whether there are any final questions before we wrap up. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's all of the content I have for you today. So I just want to wrap up a huge thank you to everybody for joining the masterclass today. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, if you're not already connected with us online, we'd love for you to, uh, to connect through our social media channels. If you have questions after today about um, anything that we've covered in the masterclass today, particularly around problem solving, please feel free to reach out. And uh, as I said, we'll send a copy of the slide out to you later with some additional resources around problem solving. Thanks again for your time and participa uh, participation today. Really appreciate it. Uh, hope you have an awesome week and we look forward to seeing you on one of our masterclasses in future. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Magical Learning Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I got a lot out of it. If you're new to the podcast, you can go back and have a look at some of our older episodes. We've got webinars in there, but we've also got shorter episodes that cover more specific topics. Otherwise, you can always follow us at all social medias. We are magical learning on most things, including YouTube, where you can see old webinars and extra information. Have a magical week.